Figaro, Figaro. Ja. No. <laughs> das ist Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 7 of Mad Ship, A Bingtown Trader's Daughter. Unlucky number seven because it's about Malta. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a theory about this chapter, though, um, that I wanted to get out right out the front. I think that we get a Malta chapter right after Cosgo because last chapter was about Satrap Cosgo and Cirilla. Um, because Robin Hobb wanted to let us know that there are worse characters. <laughs> and that way, whenever we get to Malta, finally, after seven chapters, we'd be like, well, maybe she's not as bad. Maybe. She's still bad, but... We get inside of Malta's head, though, so I think it just kind of highlights True. how bad she is. True. Still, after one whole book... Hasn't developed much except for more deviousness. True. All right, so she is getting ready for the Cooperus family to call upon her for Rain's first visit. They are sitting in front of a mirror, and of course she's protesting her, uh, her hair is hurting her as her mother is putting it up. And Kefri is like, well, stop complaining. You wanted it like this. <laughs> she specifically says, most of being a woman hurts. This is what you wanted. Get used to it. To which her grandmother rightfully says, don't make her a martyr. <laughs> yeah. The last thing we need need is her going about the house feeling martyred simply because she is a female. So we definitely see a little bit of snippiness right from the get go. I believe this is the first time we're hearing from anybody in this family, right? Even Ronica? Or did we get one with Ronica? Um, I think this is the first time we have gotten from Althea, but none of them back in Bingtown. Seventh chapter, a lot with Wintrow and Vivacia, Althea, Rashin was in one. The sad trap, the serpents. Oh no, I guess. Oh, we we did hear from Janie. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's who we've heard from, but nobody else yet. So yeah. this is the first insight we're seeing since the last time we saw them, and I believe where we left them last book was after Janie had visited to let them know that they accept the courting, <laughs> right? Yeah, between Malta and Rain, and they had to make this whole deal to begin with. So. It's been some time since then, because obviously Janie was able to go back up the river, tell her son, get prepared, and come back down. Right. So we're coming back. There's a lot of tension here. It kind of feels like Malta still doesn't fully understand what's going on. And I'm not sure if that's because they have left details out or if she's just so young and naive that she doesn't trust and believe them. What do you mean? What do you think she doesn't understand? Because I didn't really get that feeling. It feels like she doesn't understand the seriousness of what's happening here. She talks about how finally her grandma and her mother are 
letting her be a woman, but they're being so whiny about it. Like she doesn't understand that these are the consequences of her actions. Oh yeah. I mean, that's something we've talked about repeatedly, but I I feel like she understands on surface level, at least what's going on and what is happening. But I think we've gone over and spoken about how she just doesn't seem to connect the deeper dots of like, this is kind of all leading from one thing. (laughs) I suppose, yeah. And I guess she does mention that she feels like she's being sold off because of the blood debt or whatever. Yeah. And her father would never do that to her. But so they obviously did tell her that, which is what I was confused about, because in the last book, they said that she deserves to know if she's being used as like a bartering chip. Right. She 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 does. Malta does mention the pact. So I'm assuming they told her. Right. But it just feels like on a deeper level, she doesn't really understand the point, I guess, because at this point, her her version of what the point is, is that they're getting dressed up so she can finally be a woman and nobody's giving her the due that she has deserved. So as they're getting ready, Kefria and Ronica start talking kind of about Kyle and the ship. A little bit. Uh, Before you dive fully into that, there's one thing I just want to quickly mention on the first page here Mm -hmm. where Kefria says, well, Veronica, after saying we don't want her feeling martyred, stops for a little bit, says, I don't like this. Then Kefria says, what? Getting Malta ready for her first bow? There was a bemused maternal warmth in Kefria's voice. Malta frowned to herself. Her mother had initially refused to accept Malta being treated as a woman. Only a few weeks ago, she had said her daughter was much too young to have men courting her. Did she now approve of the idea? Malta shifted her eyes to try and see her mother's face in the looking glass. But Kefria's head was bent over her hairdressing task. And I just wanted to highlight that because, one, it shows that, yes, Kefria is very excited for this because it is a big deal it is as a mother this is your daughter getting ready for her first man who is calling upon her yeah that's gonna be like oh it's happening kind of thing even though she has misgivings about the whole thing and that's something that malta doesn't she tries to grasp and tries to see a deeper meaning in but doesn't really come at it from kefria's point of view she comes at it from like oh her opinions are changing is this really how it's going to be kind of thing? And trying to get a handle on the situation and Kefria's opinions rather than what she's feeling in the moment. Yeah, I guess that's right. I, I feel like this starts the misgiving that Kefria is easy to manipulate because her mind can be swayed, which I'm not going to say Kefria isn't easy to manipulate by Malta. I think there is definitely a blind spot going on there where she gives her daughter a lot more credit for being more innocent than she deserves. But I don't think Kefria's mind can be really swayed in the way Malta thinks it can be. And so it's interesting to see that dynamic of Malta thinking that her mom is just some dumb woman and deciding to use that to her advantage later. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what leads Malta to just kind of sit in silence and wonder about these things as Kefria and Ronica start talking over her head. Yeah. And uh, Ronica mentions that it's not the courting thing that she dislikes, though she does dislike that. Um, It's more about the fact that they haven't heard from Kyle yet and he should be back. Or at least... 
not necessarily should be back because there's always things that can happen, but they should have had word from another ship or something. Right. And at the very least, he's passing by the port on his way to Chalcid to yeah. sell slaves. Which so, is what Kefria says. Right. So they, it's not necessarily that he has to stop. It's just that they haven't heard anything. Nobody's really brought them news, which happens a lot, it seems. Nobody's heard anything. Yeah. And this is a small thing I want to mention as well. So Kefria says he might just pass by us all together, um, go directly to Chalcid to sell his cargo while it is still in good condition. You mean while the slaves are still alive and marketable, Ronica observed relentlessly. She had always opposed using the family live ship as a slaver. She claimed to oppose slavery on principle, but that did not prevent her from keeping a slave in the house. Ronica had claimed it would be bad for the ship to be used as a slaver, that a live ship could not cope with the dark emotions of such a cargo. Vivacia had quickened only a short time before she set out on this voyage. Everyone said that live ships were very sensitive to the feelings of those who lived aboard them, and young ships even more so. Malta had her doubts. She thought the whole thing about live ships was silly. As far as she could see, owning a live ship had brought her family only debt and trouble. So I wanted to bring that up and talk about it because one, that is a direct contradiction to Ronica's point of view later on that we see in this chapter where she thinks of Rach as, yes, a former slave, but she treats her just like any other household servant that she had had in her past. And Malta just views her as a slave. So it's again good to bring up that point of view that Malta is living a very newly indoctrinated new Bingtown life. But I also want to point out, I also had that underlined because Ronica pays Rach. They had a whole thing last yeah. book about how Ronica was like, oh, this is really a big deal. I don't want I don't want Malta to think slavery is OK because I'm condoning it by keeping a slave. Right. So I'm going to pay Rach. And then Malta is the one doing the books. So Malta can see that Rach gets paid. Right. But once so, a slave, always a slave. And Malta, that's what that's my point. Like she's raised in this new way by Kyle <laughs> and by just the attitudes around her. What we've talked about with Ronica walking through the market, things like that. All those situations have been seeped into this small child's brain. And she's like, oh, Rach was a slave. She's still a slave. Doesn't matter if she's getting paid. It's probably going off to her debt or whatever. Hmm. Okay. That's my thought, at least. That's fair. I thought it was an inconsistency, but... Yeah. I guess it could be. I explained it away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like your explanation. It is a lot more generous. <laughs> but, yeah, there's definitely that misunderstanding there. And the other thing about uh, Malta's opinion on live ships... I kind of want to touch on as well because we've talked about how can these people know nothing about live ships when they're just regular people in Bingtown and here is somebody in a live ship family who says oh no that's a bunch of garbage because she doesn't care about the live ship she doesn't hasn't really stepped foot she has but hasn't really spent time with a live ship before and she's in that world and doesn't really think that it's real <laughs> that also made me so confused because first of all how is nobody in her family talking about the live ship uh, like 
how it works. Maybe it's because they had a non-awakened live ship, so there wasn't a lot to talk about because unlike the other families, their ships have personalities and they can tell stories about those people that are ships. And maybe with an unawakened one, they're just it's just a regular ship. So what's the difference? I think it might be partially that, but also partially because of the new blood of Kyle coming in from a non-live ship family and Kefria not really wanting to have anything to do with the shipping part of anything and just okay. kind of taking a passive role. The children were wa- were raised with none of that awareness. That just seems to be ingrained in a lot of other old trader families. Right, there's a lot of things that are unspoken that are just assumed that the families know, and that's what it kind of feels like in the Vestrit family. But Malta is just like, ah, none of this is real. They're just kind of talking about this stuff again, right? Because it's not really driven in that it is real. This is a thing because Kyle didn't come from that kind of world, and Kefria didn't really care to begin with. Yeah, I just find it weird that Kefria didn't have stories for her kids when they were little about live ships or something like some tradition that's passed on of like telling stories about live ships through bedtime stories or something even it just it's weird that a daughter of a live ship family has no knowledge at all i don't know if kefri has ever been sailing on the live ship she probably has but like even if she has an awakened one at all Even if she hasn't, I cannot believe that there is no knowledge on her end. Yeah. Like, there's no way she knows nothing about them. I feel like she knows. So then why isn't she sharing any of that with her daughter? Or even her husband? She might have, but why do you sit... uh, Okay. Or her husband? Do you think Kyle's going to sit down and listen to something that Kefri has to say and take it to heart? I think when they pillow talk, he might amuse himself by listening even if she, he doesn't believe it or take it to heart. With the one chapter we had of them pillow talking, it just doesn't feel like anything that she wanted to say seriously was taken seriously. Yeah, but I feel like we don't know what their pillow talk looks like when there isn't a lot of stress and anxiety on Kyle and Kefria over the death of That's a loved fair. one and rights of ownership of a family property i don't i don't know the live ships are people i don't know (laughs) a family live ship like i feel like there's a lot more and maybe that is how it always is she never really gets taken seriously but i don't feel like her talking about what a live ship is like or the history of live ships is something that would be that serious like i think you're thinking of it like she's sitting down and here are the facts let me tell you all the facts but i'm thinking of it more of like oh yeah when i was little my dad said this as like a passing comment not like you know what i mean so it's not it's not deep it's just i feel like there should have been some knowledge but this feels like there's none maybe but yeah i feel like the bedtime story that might have happened, but Malta could dismiss it as like, well, Kefri doesn't know that much. My father knows more, and they were bedtime stories. I right? guess it's not like real facts that she's experienced. And as for Kyle, I feel like he wouldn't take anything or keep anything in his head if Kefri starts talking about sailing and be like, oh, why are you talking about that? Let's change the subject. That's, you know? Yeah, that's a fair. I feel like Kefria does have that knowledge, but it was never her like main point of focus anyways, because Ronica didn't make it her point of focus. Ronica knows because she's very traditionalist. 
but and, and Efren was the sailor <laughs> and yeah. they talked all the time obviously because he trusted her with the running of the household and they talked about that kind of thing but Kefria I don't know if she ever learned that side of everything to be fair we do know for a fact that Kefria has lied to Kyle about what goes on in the family i.e. the maps to sell with the Rainwilders. She also lied and said that they were gone, even knowing that they're not. It's just the knowledge the ship has. Right. So, like, maybe maybe she did feel like she couldn't talk to Kyle about it, even though they're married, because he's not traitor, and there's, like, some subtle... Could be true. ...separation there. I don't know. So, maybe she just didn't ever say anything. I don't know. Either way, I yeah. think... My other thing, too, is like they live in the place where live ships are from. So there's no way Malta has not at least been to the docks to see the alive ships. Yeah. I mean, the main main thing that she's focusing on here is the feeling the emotions thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is much harder to demonstrate. I think she I think Malta can understand and grasp like, oh, yeah, they are moving. They're talking. They seem to be referred to as people. But. Feeling all the emotions keenly of everyone on deck, that's a load of hooey, you know? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Which I, I can definitely see that takes a little bit more convincing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, even Althea doesn't quite grasp how live ships work yeah. in that capacity. Yeah, because so. it takes a, a quickened one to really feel everything. Yeah, and to bond with, to let you know, I guess, the secrets, right. so... I don't know. It's, but yeah, that, that's just a, an example of somebody who also doesn't really fully buy into everything about live ships. Yeah. Yeah. From someone point. close. Good point. I do want to just quick brush over <laughs> before this little talk about what Kyle is up to. Malta does make the comment that even though they're getting ready for this big day and it's supposed to be a big deal... They, everything is lame. Like she hates it all. The atmosphere is kind of dour. There are paints for her face, but none of them are new. It's the leftovers of her mom's collection. And most of them were homemade. Oh, the horror. And none of them are wearing new dresses. Her hair isn't like, there's no jewelry to put on. She is getting the bare bones and it's not fair. She's really upset. She feels like she deserves at least a new dress because of this big event and her family has not even given her that. And she just really can't believe that things are that bad that she can't get new stuff and it's not fair. Her family is doing this on purpose to make her once in a lifetime big thing worse. And that is added to after this conversation where now Kefria and Ronica are arguing about slavery and the morality of it and morality of what Kyle's doing. And Malta's getting more and more mad because this should this day should be about her. She wants the attention. And once again, she is not getting the attention. This is more about other things. Like, why can't they focus on her and talk about her stuff and let her be the center of attention? And instead, they're talking over her like she's not there and about adult things. And it's not fair. Yeah. Look at her situation now, after she had begged for months to be allowed to dress and socialize as a young woman instead of a little girl, her family was finally giving in to her, 
And why? Not because they had seen how reasonable her request was. No, it was because some stupid contract said that if her grandmother could not keep up the payments on the family live ship debt, one of the family's children would have to be offered to the Rainwilds in place of the gold. The unfairness of the whole thing rose and choked her. Here she was, young, lovely, and fresh. Who would, be her, who would her first suitor be? A handsome young trader like Sir Wintrell? A melancholy poet like Creon Trenter? No, not for Malta Vestret. No, she got some warty old Rainwild trader, a man so hideously deformed he had to wear a veil if he wished to come to Bingtown. Did her mother and grandmother even care about such things? Did they ever stop to think what it might mean to her to have such a man foisted upon her? Oh no, not them. They were too busy worrying about the ship, or what was happening to her precious brother Wintrow, or where her aunt Althea was. Malta counted for nothing. Here they were, helping her dress, doing her hair, and still not paying attention to her. On what might be the most important afternoon of her life, they were arguing about slavery. I think this really gets down to the core of why Malta is the way that she is. Nobody gives her attention. At least not in the way she feels she is deserved. Yeah. And And that's why she has a soft spot for Kyle. Yeah. Because because he does when he's back in port. Yeah, because he is able to. I guess Kefria before this was able to and didn't. But you can really see how hurt she is. And I think this really reads as young. As yeah. not understanding the situation, right? Like, she talks about the unfairness of being foisted, this having this old warty man foisted on her. And her grandparents, her grandma and her mom don't even care without recognizing that the reason she's in this situation is ultimately because she accepted the suit. She opened the dream box. So the reason he's on, uh, he gets to be her suitor is because she accepted that. It's not her grandma and mother's fault that she did that. That was her own choice after they told her not to. But according to her, it's the contract and everything, and now she has to entertain this suitor. And it's supposed to be this fun day. And you know what? I do do feel pity for Malta in this, because it is supposed to be a fun thing. Like, Yeah. It should be fun and light and exciting, but the problem is she's, number one, too young. Number two... This isn't something that anybody in this room wants. <laughs> Imagine if you were going on your first date and your mom was doing your hair or something or going to a, you know, prom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And your mom and like, I don't know, your grandma were talking about slavery in the same room. and like, <laughs> or, or like how much debt they were in. It's really depressing things and not like talking to you at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would that would really be awful. But also... Like, I don't know. A little awareness, Malta. Yeah, it's like, obviously this isn't a good time. And I feel like she could have had what she wanted, which is attention and people lavishing her with gifts and new things and having a normal experience if she would have just waited from the get-go. like, Oh, yeah. If she could recognize that her family is in the middle of, number one, a financial crisis, and number two reeling after the death of their patriarch of the family like obviously moods aren't going to be great when you try to do something that you're too young for anyway and nobody wants you to do so like she could have had what she was aiming for if she would have waited but obviously she's a child and doesn't have that sort of 
fully developed brain to give her the reasoning (laughs) to do that. So I do feel bad that she's at an age where she cannot understand that the reason she's not the most important thing in the room right now is because this isn't real. Her family wants her to be childish so that the Rainwild man leaves her alone. Right. And instead of recognizing that of like, oh, well, this doesn't have to be the first guy or I don't even have to have him foisted upon me if I just act like a child. She's like, no, it's my right to be a woman right now. I am a woman and I'm going to be a woman and there's nothing they can do to stop me from doing what I want. And so, like, I feel bad for her, but there's also that side of her that's like, I'm going to get what I want, even at the detriment of myself and others. (laughs) (laughs) So she tunes back in to hear Kefria kind of defending Kyle a bit, that he's doing the best he can. You have to admit that much. Kyle can be thoughtless of feelings. I admit that. He has injured mine more than once. Nevertheless, he is not an evil man nor selfish. I have never known him to do anything that he did not believe was best for all of us. Malta was a bit surprised to hear her mother defending her father. They had clashed badly right before her father sailed, and her mother had spoken little of him since. Perhaps in her own dowdy, homebody way, she still cared about her husband. Malta had always pitied her father. It was such a shameful waste that so handsome and adventurous a sea captain should be married to a mousy little woman with no interest in society or fashion. He deserved a wife who dressed well, one who orchestrated social gatherings in their home and attracted fit suitors for their daughter. Malta felt she deserved a mother like that also. A new thought filled her with sudden alarm. What are you planning on wearing today? (laughs) So before we talk about what they're wearing, (laughs) I think it's really interesting that that's how Malta sees her mom because it kind of gives off the feel that Malta hasn't been paying attention to her mom either. Right. Because... Before Efren was staying in bed sick, as far as I can tell from what Kefria and from what Ronica have talked about or referenced, Kefria did host parties and go places and care about society and fashion. And even if they weren't buying the newest things all of the time, they were keeping up with the trends and sewing their own dress to be on top of fashion. Like she wasn't a dowdy homebody her father was on his (laughs) deathbed like (laughs) yeah she just wasn't buying the the newest newest things out of jamalia every season you know (laughs) right and so i think it's really weird that malta's like my father deserves better when like that's what her father had before his wife had the death of her father like this isn't how kefria has always been and so it's weird that Malta thinks it is. And I guess maybe before when Malta got to do stuff, it wasn't as noticeable or maybe it's just because she has friends that are more financially well off. And so she thinks her family are purposely withholding all the things that their families do. I think it's partially that, but also if you remember, she's like 13, maybe turning 14 soon. And her grandfather died. What a year ago when she was just turned 13 or something like that. So before that, he's on his deathbed for what? Almost a whole nother year. So she was like 11 the last time that Kefria might've done something. I suppose it's been an eternity for Malta. (laughs) That's yeah, that's a good point, but it isn't like 
it's never been right you know yeah, yeah. i don't know i think that's the but weirdest do you pay attention to what your parents do when you're young you know i don't know i guess not especially if they're not around you i think i think in malta's mind the perfect mother and perfect wife to her father would have these functions and host these sociable things, but they would be huge events and there would be a lot of people her age coming over when I think it was mostly just Kefria's friends, you know? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but I mean, they had to have had some events where people her age came over or else she wouldn't have any friends at all. There are those monthly gatherings that's that they fair. go to as well. But and yes, she, I, I totally yeah. understand. It's just, I feel like Kefria, yes, did those things, but to a young girl, probably doesn't care about any of that. Like thinking back to my childhood, my parents probably went out with friends a lot more than I remember (laughs) (laughs) or like had a good time somewhere else or whatever, but like they didn't have kids for me to play with. So like, I don't remember that. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just, I don't know. It just is like, I guess it drives home the point again that she's really young and yeah, definitely. Especially that she has such a skewed view. Just an incomplete understanding of what's going on, really. She thinks she has the whole picture, but it's just like select pieces that are important kind of are holes in the canvas. Yeah. And I wonder if it's just, you know, the declining finances made less and less things available and she keeps going to other people's houses because it doesn't seem like even when her grandfather was around and on his deathbed, she was forced to stay home and wasn't allowed to go out at all. She right. was going to Dello's house. Yeah. She was going to her friend's houses and seeing puppet shows. Like she got to see things and do things. It just wasn't happening at her house. And for whatever reason, I guess her youth, she's not able to understand that that is because of a big death and not because her family was purposefully punishing her by not giving her what she deserved. I mean, it it also could be with, I mean, that makes total sense, but I just had a thought of like Dello and her friendship is not the best. No, no. (laughs) So it could be something like Dello repeating something that she heard like, Oh, you know why we can't have it at your house, even though she has no understanding what that means. So Malta is just like internalizing that, making up her own reasons. Yeah, that could be. Because there's probably like an official mourning period or whatever, you know? Yeah, and kids don't understand that. Right. Especially somebody that's old that she's not close to. Right. She doesn't care. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. But it, it is interesting to see that and point out that she's wrong. What she's thinking yeah. about her mom, though it may be somewhat true now, although I think it's rude to call your mother dowdy. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not... That Kefria wants to dress demurely and be a homebody. It's that they cannot afford to do otherwise at the moment. And they're in a mourning period. Like, there's a lot more to society and life that Malta's really just missing out on. Yeah. But Malta is very worried about what Kefria is going to wear to this, which Kefria responds, well, what I'm wearing right now. Rain's going to visit you, not me. In a lower tone, she added almost reluctantly, Your hair gleams like night itself. I doubt he will see anyone else but you. Malta did not allow the rare compliment to distract her. The simple blue woolen robe her mother was wearing was at least three years old. It had been well cared for and did not look worn, merely sedate and boring. Will you at least dress your hair and put on your jewelry, she begged. Almost desperately, she added, 
You always ask me to dress well and behave appropriately when I am about trader business with you. Will not you and grandmother do the same for me? She turns around. They both look surprised. And she continues on that they're part of a, the Cooper's family is an influential Rainwild trader family. You told me that yourself. They're an honored guest, so we should look our best. Surely we owe ourselves at least that much self-respect. Oh, Malta, her mother sighed. I do believe the child is right, her grandmother said suddenly. No, I know she is right. We have both been nearsighted in this. Whether or not we welcome Rain's courtship of Malta is not the issue here. We have given permission for it. The Cooper's family now holds the note for Vivacia. Our contract is now with them. Not only should we treat them with the same courtesy as we did the Festrus, we should present the same face to them as well. And she goes through a whole list. So uh, before we move on to that list, I do want to first mention the first line in this that isn't the meat of what I just read, but it says, Malt did not allow the rare compliment to distract her, which is very sad that her mother lowers her tone and says, also, your hair looks really nice. So <laughs> and that's a rare compliment. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we are reading this from Malta's point of view. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I highly doubt Kefria was saying it with animosity or like a oh, side. Yeah, I don't think she was saying it with animosity, but just the comment, the rare compliment is sad yeah. to me. No, that definitely is sad. I think, I think it's hard because Malta has been so bad. Right. Like yeah, she yeah. doesn't do anything worthy of a compliment. We've only so, seen her from like the worst parts of her. <laughs> yeah. So like, of course, compliments are going to be rare when you're constantly doing things you're not supposed to and going behind people's backs and just ultimately trying to get away with stuff you know you're not supposed to. Although it is sad that she doesn't hear compliments. And clearly, like, I think it's pretty well known that a lot of times when a kid is acting out, it's because they want attention. Right. And that it doesn't matter at that point if it's negative or positive. They just want attention. But it seems like Malta really wishes that it was positive attention. She just doesn't quite understand that you have to do nice things to be viewed positively <laughs> instead of lying all the time. Right. But like, you know, still sad. I still wish that they had more time to bond as mother and daughter and get that relationship that Malta wishes for. But that's not this book, so... <laughs> Definitely sad. Yeah, Kefra's planning on wearing the same dress. Oh, no, it's very sedate and boring. Whatever will Malta do, although it looks very well cared for. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the dress. It doesn't look like it's inappropriate. It literally is fine. It just isn't new. But she does make a great point. They need to be dressed up and look nice. I want to talk about this point. This feels too mature. After oh, you think so? After just being in her head about how, like, it's not fair. They're purposely making things bad for my first more most important day. And they didn't even think I should be a woman. And now they're just doing it because they have to. And now it's like, but also, mother, we must be polite to the guests. Like, what? Where's that coming from? You're just being a whiny baby. And, like, I get that Malta's supposed to be, like, this mastermind and this genius who's able to, like, <laughs> see between the lines and she, like, whatever. I just don't understand how she can go from 
whiny baby who like genuinely cannot understand the concept of what's going on to, well, it's the polite thing to do to dress up. And this is the exact wording to say to make sure that nobody can argue the point. Like that feels really weird to me. I think it follows her train of thought pretty well of just like, we're so boring and out of fashion, everything. And that's when she get the horrified thought, like, what are you wearing? At least make yourself look like you're going to a trader function because these are very important people. That makes sense to me. No. And also the fact that she is very accomplished at manipulating her parents and using her words to get what she wants. Okay. So I think that it does make sense in the, in the way that it flows from her thought process. I think what doesn't make sense is how mature it comes across because Mm -hmm. we have not yet seen Malta have an argument where she's manipulating somebody with a mature thought, if that makes sense. Like whenever she's trying to get away with something prior to this, she is basically outright lying and just saying what people want to hear and not like manipulating an adult into a situation that she wants them to do. She manipulates the young boys around her into doing what she wants and decording her the way she wants. But that's, still a little awkward in some ways that we can see. And this feels so mature that it's like weird that it came from Malta. I feel like there should have been more like awkwardness to the speech instead of sounding like an adult was saying it, if that makes sense. Like in my mind, that's how I read it. Oh, okay. Just a little bit off on tone, you think? Yeah. I feel like the tone is very mature all of a sudden out of nowhere. And then it doesn't ever come back. (laughs) But I guess we do see her very aptly manipulate Rain. So maybe just that's how this book Malta is. And last yeah. book she was more childish. And then these last two weeks she's grown more skilled at manipulation and talking like an adult. I don't know. I don't know. Just a thought that I had when I read that part. And so Ronica is agreeing with Malta here saying, yeah, we should put our best foot forward I wish Nana was still with us, but it was too good of an opportunity for her to ask her to let it go. Do you think I should send Raish to Devad Restarts to beg the loan of other serving folk? We could, Kefria begins. Oh, please no, Malta interjects, just saying that it's horrid. They're horrid and unmannered and and impertinent, impertinent, and we are better off without them. I think we should present our household as it truly is, rather than make a false show with ill-trained servants. Which would you find more genteel? A household with limited means who chooses the best their budget allows or a household that borrows lackadaisical help? Is this also part of the tone? Yes. Also weird because this is coming from Malta who has been up until this point being like, I don't understand why we don't have new things and I'm just the leftovers. I don't even She get... hates everything involving Devad though. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. But I'm just like, seriously, now you don't want a ton of servants around that you can boss around um, and show off. Like it just feels like she, I don't, it, she doesn't seem like the type of person to want to play the, like, I'm a thrift, a, a thrifty woman and I come from nothing. Please save me. But I don't know, I guess. Well, I don't think she's trying to play that part or wants to play that part. I think she is like all of the Vestrit women obsessed with their image towards society. And hers comes from a more vain point of view. But you don't want a servant who is tripping over themselves or not listening to you at all. Wouldn't you rather just sit there and be like, yep, this is... 
you know, my perfect self and I don't have any incompetence surrounding me. I think that's in her view is what she's going for. Mm. I don't know. She probably doesn't want to vote around the situation at all. Lucky for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So she says it pleases her to see both her mother and her grandmother surprised. Her mother smiled proudly as she said, the girl has sense. Malta, I am sure you have seen to the heart of it. It pleases me to hear you speak so. Her grandmother's approval was more wary. She pursed her lips at Malta and gave a brief nod. It would do. As she looks in the mirror and looks at her hair, she glanced once more at her grandmother's reflection. The old woman was still perusing her. Malta decided it was hard for Ronica Vestret to accept anyone else as clever. That was it. Her grandmother was jealous that Malta could think things through as clearly as she could. More clearly, in fact. Her mother, however, had been proud of her. Her mother could be won over with her cleverness. Malta had never considered that possibility before. A sudden inspiration came to her. And then she completely flatters Kefria and offers to do, you know, her hair and help her with her makeup. And maybe they could put embroidery on the dresses. And can't we use fresh flowers? And I'll help put flowers on yours as well. And just completely tries to overwhelm and love bomb Kefria here. Great. And also say, you know, your hair looks like a dowdy old woman. Let me do that for you so it looks fresh and young. And then notes that her grandmother is wearing the exact same hairstyle and doesn't make comment about that at all. (laughs) But yeah, definitely. I don't know. It just, it feels so evil. I don't know. It's like. Very manipulative. Yeah. And the fact that she's like, clearly, I'm just so smart. That's why my grandmother can't give me any love or affection. She and can't She can't handle that I'm smarter and think more clearly to her, than her. <laughs> right. The 13-year-old is right. smarter and thinking more clearly. No. And, and I mean, like, to be fair to Malta, it is a little crappy that her own grandmother won't just be like, good job, Malta. And... You know, give her the benefit of the doubt. But also, her grandma's too smart for that and knows that Malta's always up to something. Like, there has been too much distrust zone in Ronica with Malta that Ronica knows that this is not coming from a sweet, <laughs> genteel place. This is coming from a manipulative place. And she just hasn't hasn't figured out the end goal yet. And the, the next section starts off with... Ronica Vestret was skeptical of her granddaughter's sudden sweetness. <laughs> yeah. Well... That's the thing, too. So Malta, here we see Kefria willingly praise Malta again, twice in one chapter, because she's doing something that is mature and nice and like is a good decision for everybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. And Malta's like, oh, so she can be manipulated. And it's like, no, your mom's just proud of you for not being awful like normal. Like, (laughs) again, if you weren't always awful and lying and scheming, you'd probably get the relationship you wanted with your mom. But instead of seeing that connection, she sees, ah, yes, this is an idiot that I can manipulate. (laughs) So Ronica's thinking about this whole situation as we get a look inside of her mind here. She curses the circumstances that put her family's reputation and finances into the awkward hands of this giddy girl. Even more frightening was that those awkward hands were greedy and grasping, and that Malta's foolishness was fueled by cunning. If the girl had only applied her keen mind to doing what was genuinely best for her family and herself, she would have done the Vestrits proud. As it stood, she was a dangerous liability. 
And so she walks out of the room quietly as she is kind of imagining what would happen. Like, oh, maybe we can put her off on the Coopers family. And then she winces thinking as of Malta as Janie Coopers's uh, granddaughter or daughter, excuse me. And (laughs) winces there and says, no, Malta was a vestrip problem. It was best to keep her at home until she had been taught to behave as befit her family. Sometimes Ronica thought the only way to do that would be with a strap. Which, oof, Ronica. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't know, just a second ago I was like, yeah, Ronica's kind of right. But, like, also, it isn't great that this is a grandmother's thought about her granddaughter, right? right? Like, I do feel bad for Malta. I feel bad that this is the environment Malta is in because clearly Malta knows that her grandma doesn't like her. And her grandma is not keeping it hidden that she doesn't like Malta. She's like, maybe she could grow into something respectable, but right now she's not. And I think that's just so hard because you can't treat kids that way and expect them to do anything that you want. If you treat them like they're a nuisance and like you hate them, they're going to (laughs) know. So it's really hard because on the one hand, like she's right. But on the other hand, it's also her granddaughter and it's her fault that her granddaughter turned out that way partially. So, (laughs) so I don't know. It's definitely complicated which is what robin hobb does best <laughs> <laughs> so ronica retreats to her own room which had been freshened as she had mentioned and ticked off in the list as one of the tasks to be done to be welcoming these guests but her memory of the place is still lingering as this is where Efren was Right. It doesn't matter how clean the area is or that she's refreshed everything about the room it's still clings to the memories of Efren and his last days and she can't seem to get away from that thought and then as she has the sad thing happening she looks the mirror and thinks that Malta's right she does look like a dowdy old woman and that makes her even sadder and I do feel bad for her because she's like clearly having a hard time she is mourning the loss of her husband that she's been married to for forever (laughs) and there's a lot going on. Like she has a lot of stress. And on top of that, now she has to worry about how she looks because her granddaughter's right. She doesn't look like a proud matriarch of the Vestrick family. Yeah. She asks, how long has it been since she had last taken pains with her appearance? How long since she had cared at all how she looked? And slowly she begins to change that. She freshens herself up. Blows dust off the cosmetic pots, opens the first one, and eventually, as she is finally putting on some perfume, there's a knock at the door and she says, enter to Rach. Since Nana had left, Rach was the sole remaining house servant in the formerly bustling household. When the slave woman entered, Ronica instantly knew why she was there. Only a visit from Devadra's start put such a look of guarded hatred in the slave's eyes. Rach still blamed him for the, her son's death on board Devad's slave ship. Any mention of the traitor wakened that look in her. It was the only time when the young woman truly seemed alive. So although Ronica sighed and begged, please no, she knew the man was already in the sitting room. Of course, Rach apologizes and says, I'm sorry, but <laughs> Trader Restart is here to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's... Not a great situation. Obviously, Devad has a talent, and that talent is showing up where he is least wanted. Yes. 
But then says Ronica says, you know, don't go down and tell him. He showed up uninvited, so we won't take any pains to like make him comfortable or anything. He can wait till I'm done. Right. Yeah. And what she's telling Rach not to go down and tell him is that she's on her way and that Rach should go get tea and some small snacks so as not to encourage him to stay. So just kind of don't even bother telling him. Just go get the tea and snacks prepared. We'll figure it out and get him away as quick as possible. Yep. And this is where Ronica's thinking in the recap way of things, because the beginning of the book, she's thinking that she treats Rach as a regular household servant. Which, again, is a weird thing to say about somebody that you're paying. Yeah. <laughs> Ronica treated her as she would any hired servant. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's just because we had Malta, who was like, a slave's a slave. And she's like, I treat this slave differently. But it, I don't know. It feels like I'm crazy. I feel like I'm crazy <laughs> in thinking that at one point she was like, we're going to pay Rach. And no, she did. Yeah. So I don't know. It's. She's hired. She's she's a hired servant. She gets paid. So, yeah. Ronica took her time choosing, finally selecting a dress of pale green linen. It had been so long since she had worn anything but a loose household robe. And she puts it on, pauses to look at herself again in the mirror. Well, she did not look lovely. She did not look young. However, she once more appeared as a matriarch of a Bingtown family should present herself. She looked both groomed and dignified. She paused at her jewelry cast to rope her throat recklessly with pearls and hang more from her ears. There. Now let the little minx insinuate she was a dowdy old woman. I hate that Malta got into her head with a comment about her looks. (laughs) It just... Unnecessary. Not needed. I hate it. But whatever. Also, I do want a t-shirt that says... She looked both groomed and dignified because that is so (laughs) funny. I don't know. Just that like those together. Love it. A plus. That's what I always go for. (laughs) She turns from the mirror to find Rach waiting her watching her with widened eyes. Ronica felt almost flattered by the servants serving woman's surprise. Says I will see Devad now. You know, I don't want to encourage him to stay or to linger. (laughs) Just go grab little things. And also, she's trying to minimize Rach's time with Tavad. Right. And <laughs> she a knows kindness. her hatred. Yes. Yeah. And then, as she walks toward Tavad, she has a little thought where she thinks again about how her trust was misplaced in Kyle and she can't believe she was so wrong about him. And because of that, Kefria is now paralyzed with fear of upsetting her husband and can't do anything. And she's stuck in this horrible situation. And even Althea has gone because of Kyle. And this really feels kind of like a Malta insert because it's all about that's somebody else's fault, not her own choices. Right. There's a lot of like, well, this is all on Kyle and not any acknowledgement of like, I mean, I guess there's the, I mistrusted him, but that makes it sound like it's not really her fault. And so you can definitely tell they're related. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So she pauses by the entrance to the waiting room or to the sitting room to get all these thoughts out of her head. By an act of will, she smoothed her brow and put a pleasant expression on her face. She walks in and says, good morning, Devad. Such a surprise to have you call on us like this. He turns around as he was looking at a book and as he was waiting, and he says, not surprising, rude. Even as socially inept a blunderer as I, 
I know that I should have asked if you had time to see me. But I knew you would say no, and I had to... Ronica, you look amazing! His eyes swept up and down her quite familiarly, bringing an unexpected blush to her face. A returning smile broke out on his ruddy, round face. I had become accustomed to seeing you in such dreary clothes, I had forgotten how you truly looked. I remember that dress. It is quite old, isn't it? Didn't you wear it to one of the parties you gave to announce Kefria's wedding to Kyle? It takes years off your face. You must be quite proud to be able to squeeze yourself into it still. Devad Restart, only you can so completely ruin so many compliments in one brief speech. He stared at her, completely flummoxed. <laughs> it's... It must have been such a joy to write that paragraph in Robin Hobb's point of view, because that was just like compliment, destroy the compliment, compliment, destroy the compliment back and forth. (laughs) It is so astonishing that someone could be that unaware of what they do and say, like. I know that his wife used to be the one that would fix the problems and like was really the backbone of that family that was like helping him stay looking like dressed nicely and polite to others. But like it's been a long time and he still is not grasping the cues of like, don't say stuff like that. It's rude, which is kind of funny for us. Not so much for Ronica, because I'm sure that hit her pride just a little bit, especially because I think she was so fragile to begin with. (laughs) Like she had really kind of been like, wow, I am proud of myself for dressing up. And then Devon was like, wow, look at how much younger you look. That is such an old outfit. (laughs) It's very, it also takes years off your face. (laughs) Yeah. It's very much giving the Lizzie McGuire scene where um, the mean girl is like, Lizzie McGuire, you are an outfit repeater. And Lizzie McGuire goes, well, I may be an outfit repeater, but you're an outfit rememberer. And that should be in here. A little clip. (laughs) I know you can't put clips in physical books, but Robin Hobb, if you're listening, you could probably add it to (laughs) an ebook to the ebooks. (laughs) Devon Restart, you are an outfit rememberer. (laughs) So... Ronica is greeting him and saying, like, yep, you are very tactless, but come and join me. Just briefly, though, we have Rain Kupris in the this afternoon. He is coming to call in Malta for the first time. And Devad's like, I know. Bingtown gossip has been full of it. It's a bit unusual, isn't it, to allow a man to court her before she's even been presented as a woman? Not that she doesn't think she's already, I'm sure. After her escapade last winter at the ball, well... I don't blame you for trying to marry her off quickly. The sooner that girl has a man to settle her down, the safer all of Bingtown will be. He paused and cleared his throat. For the first time, he looked a bit uncomfortable. Actually, Ronica, that is why I'm here. To beg a very great favor from you, I'm afraid. You wish to ask a favor of me, and somehow it's connected to Rain's visit? Ronica was both puzzled and uneasy. Yes, it's simple. Invite me too. Please. Well, we're running close to time there, so I'm going to cut it off and we'll pick up the rest of the chapter in next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have any questions so far about or thoughts or comments about Malta or Devad or anything like that, please let us know where it is fitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, 
threads or on YouTube or any of those, please leave comments anywhere you want. Let us know how we're doing or what thoughts you have. And if you are hearing this on the day it's released, you'll have some time to vote on the most annoying character in Realm of the Elderlings. Yeah, so not just specific to this book or last book series. Um, yes. We're doing a little impromptu bracket vote on who we think is the most annoying character. Um, all of the answers were submitted by people from threads and Instagram whenever we pose the questions there. So if you don't follow us there, um, we do sometimes do stuff like this where we ask questions of the group on Instagram yeah. and now threads. Um, so if you want to follow us there, we would love to have you. Um, but with those answers, we couldn't narrow it down to four, which is the amount allotted for a poll. And we thought it'd be way more fun to do a five day bracket instead. So <laughs> Yeah, so go on the link and vote for the preliminary round here. And then um I think by the time this airs we'll have a couple couple rounds in. Yeah. So um probably look for the semifinals and the finals round. Make sure your opinion is heard on who the most annoying is. You can look back on the past votes and hopefully we can do more stuff like this in the future. Yeah. So thank you everybody for tuning in this week. Again, if you have thoughts, please let us know. See you next week. Okay, so we're going to jump into the stuff that you guys have brought to our attention. Uh, First and foremost, the hottest topic, (laughs) Greg. So we're going to talk about some of the things that some different people have written in about Greg. The hottest topic. Shwink. <laughs> Greg is probably pretty cute. Like, probably. I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a lot of people had some opinions on Greg and who he is as a person and where they feel or how they feel now about Greg and Althea as a couple. I think Amir on Instagram let us know that he's confident that I will come around to shipping Greg and Althea as the ultimate couple (laughs) because I've come around on Efren and some other characters. So eventually maybe I'll get there. We'll see. I don't think that they're a bad couple, I will say, but I just don't think that they're my OTP, um, (laughs) one true pair (laughs) for anybody who hasn't used Tumblr before. (laughs) And Jonas agrees with you. Yeah. Um, So we got a really nice message from Jonas on Facebook Messenger about how the topic that we talked about of Greg really changed his mind on Greg and Althea being a perfect pair. And not because he doesn't like Greg now or thinks that Greg is awful. In fact, he said that I was being a little harsh on Greg. Yeah, maybe he expects is, a bit too much from him, he yes, says. So, which is fair enough. I was being very harsh on him. But he does say that he feels as though the the Greg and Althea relationship ultimately wouldn't work out because there isn't a mutual understanding there, whereas Brash and Althea have they know who each other are yeah basically like greg and althea greg would always accommodate althea's wishes and what she wanted to do like have a kid and stay sailing whatever you know yeah but jonas thinks that he wouldn't truly understand her choices and why she's doing like that whereas brashen is totally okay with it and just like kind of expected it <laughs> yes so it's just kind of like 
they're just closer or on the, more on the same page. Right. Yeah. So I like that phrasing of it. I think that's where I stand, where it's not that they wouldn't be good. It's just that her, that Althea and Brashen have a better connection. Yeah. Um, which we got an email from Joshua that disagrees with us. <laughs> and Joshua let us know that the way they see it is Ophelia is amazing and he want or they want Althea to be part of the Tanira family, if only so that Ophelia can be around Althea forever because Ophelia is the best, which totally agree. The title of the email is Ophelia forever. If you can <laughs> get the vibes from that, because yeah, true. But also Joshua makes a really good point of pointing out that Greg is being gentlemanly. She was she Althea complains about how Greg isn't assertive enough and isn't taking more of a stance in how he likes her, but he is being pretty smooth and she just got done crying about her dead dad. (laughs) So really he's being super respectful and there's nothing wrong with that. And I agree. I think especially in that context, there's nothing wrong with how he treaded that conversation. I like, I don't know. I, I don't think Greg is a bad guy. (laughs) I feel like I have to like defend that. Like I do like Greg and Greg would be for me if I was there, but I'm not (laughs) Althea. (laughs) I'm not Althea. So (laughs) it is, but it is good. I like the defense of his um, not being assertive enough in the rebuttal that, you know, it's all about context and yeah. the moment. And maybe he would be more assertive. Maybe he wouldn't be either way. There's nothing wrong with the way that he is coming towards this arrangement or his feelings. And it's a nice thing to see. Yeah. And Josh also talks about how with Greg reacting to Brash in the way that he does, that it's not a it's not a difference in how women are viewed in society or anything that we might have talked about in that episode, but more so just low key jealous Josh thinks. And it's just more like I will, I would never treat you that way. I'm better than that guy kind of vibes rather than just trying to make a statement or anything or, you know, um, spread rumors about being mean in any sort of way. Just kind of like, well, this guy is not as good as me. Yeah. No, and I do like that context and that point of view of it's more coming from a jealousy posturing sort of stance than malice, I guess. (laughs) Um, But I do still think that the problem with that is more on Althea's end where she's taking it as fact. Like the way she's receiving that information as, as though there is no bias in the way he's talking about Brashen. And so I think that's where I have more problem with it. Like, I like knowing the reason Greg is talking about Brashen, but it still doesn't change my mind that it's bad, but more so because Althea is taking it wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, this is the Bible truth. And I like it has to be true because why would this man tell me wrong? (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for those comments about Greg. Yeah. We also had a couple comments on episode 159 for um, on Facebook. 
And this question that you posed on this episode was, why do you think the role of heart companion was able to change so quickly in one direction? Or one, excuse me, generation. Yes. So we got a really good response from Joe, who says that customs are only as strong as each generation. Those of us who have lived in the U.S. for the last few years have seen example after example of this. Laws are stronger, but of course need a strong enforcement arm, and that's probably lacking in Jamalia. And I think that's a really good answer. I really like that. Especially if, like, the leader of the country is going to decide to change custom, they can. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, it it really just shows that it's really easy to break down something that is good a lot more quickly than you can build it back up. True. So um, I really liked the reference to the U (laughs) S we should have, should have been thinking about that when I was making the question, but I liked the point out and I like the point of view of it's more about the fact that there's no buddy to really enforce those specific customs yeah Yeah. it's just the one person appointing them exactly so magnadon satrap cosgo yes so thank you joe and then ellen first of all says that they like to think of magnadon as uh the equivalent of your majesty which i do like just like a different way to say (laughs) your majesty i guess and then Ellen also goes on to talk about Cirilla, and I think that it's a very interesting mindset. So Ellen poses the question, do we think that Cirilla has a colonizer mindset about Bingtown? Meaning that the Bingtown people are lesser or need to be governed in a certain way or that Jamalia is just, you know, the center of learning and she can show them what to do, basically. Right. That she truly does care about them and wants them to be taken care of, see ruled by someone who's competent and cares for them with all the best intentions. But she can't see the flaw that she doesn't see them as real people. What do you think? Well, I first want to read out the response to that from Cookie Baker and then kind of debate our sides of it. Because Cookie Baker responds to Ellen's comment saying that they don't think that Cirilla is looking at Bingtown that way at this point of time. Right now, she is just trying to look to be a negotiator, trying to get close to Bingtown to study it. But later on, when she's there and sees Bingtown in trouble... She wants to appoint herself as a leader to stay in Bingtown, but might look at them in that way later on. But at this point in the story, no. And I kind of agree with that take more so. Right now, I think she sees it as this mystical, far-off land of wonder that she's been studying for her whole life. She hasn't been able to leave the palace. And this is a land of magic and trade and her expertise and I think she just wants to go there to really experience it and when she's disillusioned on the way over and everything that happens there and looking just for any sort of control in her life I think deep down maybe she's just like "Mm, maybe I can fix this place yeah I had never thought about it as her having a colonizer mindset but the way that ellen has described it really fits my reading of cirilla 
So I really liked that and like putting that idea forward because I think it really gets to the point of Cirilla does think she knows better than the people living in Bingtown and she does think that she is able to give them a better life. And she's not really taking into account the lived experience of the people in the culture that she quote unquote loves and has studied. And obviously, if you study something, you do know a lot, but it's a lot different than somebody who has lived it and knows a little bit more of the nuance that maybe isn't translated as well on paper. Yeah, true. It's just hard for me to see that come out in the first chapter that we read of her. Yeah. Right. I see that attitude totally later on. And that's why I think it comes out Mm -hmm. later. But I don't know. It could be there the whole time and just kind of revealed more over the book. I will say that I think that the subtlety of her thinking she knows best about Bingtown in general and that she knows so much just by reading it on paper does lean towards that being her overall feeling. That's fair. However, yeah, maybe I just feel that way because we're rereading and we know what happens. And so I'm reading more into the last chapter we had, like the very first chapter we meet her. Whereas if this was my first time through, I maybe would say, no, I don't think she's thinking about it from a colonizing mindset, but I'm not a first time reader. And this podcast is for free readers mostly. So, so I will say that I agree with it under that guys, but I don't think you can see it as easily if you're first time reading it through. Right. Jonah sent us an email as well about uh, mentioning Cirilla as well. And I think that kind of chimes in on this conversation. Basically, Jonas is saying that she's an interesting character, but not one that he's really connected with personally. And it's mostly because she doesn't, she doesn't handle things well in Bingtown, right? Obviously, extremely hard to read on her journey over. Right. And Jonas remarks that she's never truly the same after that. Because before that, she is kind of a joy to read, you know? Like, she knows yeah. what she's doing. She's self-assured. She's sticking up for herself with the satrap. But afterwards, just doesn't really play out the way that Cirilla wants to, right? Right. And Jonas is saying that she's just never the same after, which would make sense. And she's not trusting at all and probably accounts for the way that she acts in Bingtown. So I think that kind of plays in the conversation. I just, I think that... It's just so different for her once she gets there. Yeah. With Bingtown so different, being thrown into turmoil than what she's read, that she's just grasping for that hint of control. Right. And to be fair, she does go through a lot of trauma on the way over. So, of course, getting there and it not being everything she's imagined it to be, it makes more sense that she's making decisions to try to bring it back to what it was and gain control and have that safety net that she doesn't have. Like I get it for sure. And I, I am looking forward to reading her a little bit more closely yeah, and me seeing too. if we can give her a little bit more sympathy, but you know, hard to say now, <laughs> but I do like the idea that she is ultimately coming at it from a point of view of like, I'm better than them. And I know more because I'm, from Jamalia, so I'm more refined. She seems to have that attitude in Bingtown, at least. So yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to see where that comes out. Yes. So thank you, Ellen and Jonas and Cookie Baker for that. Yes. And then Jonas also had some things to say about Sad Trap and 
about Kennet and Baragon. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Satrap, though, because that kind of makes <laughs> the most sense. <laughs> so Jonas is kind of pulling from Roman emperors a little bit, saying that Cosgo reminds him of Nero and of uh, Commodus. So Nero, because it's a petulant child ruler who was into heavy into drug abuse, uses the power to get what he wants, and he never grew up, remaining a toddler forever, used to getting what he wants. He's a very cruel man, but has the mind of a small boy and doesn't even realize the things that he does. We see that clearly later with the problems on the ship. Me, me, me. However, it would not be fair to his victims to say it's just a child not knowing what he does, because he does have a very mean streak. We see that when he quote-unquote gives Cirillo away, knowing very well what will happen. He's one of the worst people in the whole array of characters in the series, and it reminds him of this other uh, emperor, who is the emperor from Gladiator, played by Joaquin Phoenix. That emperor had a wise and gentle father who ruled well, which we kind of get the feeling through Cirilla that uh, Satrap Escopolis? Whatever. The previous Satrap. (laughs) The old Magnodon. (laughs) Yes, the old Magnodon was at least a pretty good ruler, but that the new one can't quite live up to that, and they just remain mean and cruel and have that childish streak in them. So... I think those are pretty good comparisons. I don't know too much about uh, Roman history in general, about the specific emperors. So that's a, you know, great comparisons there. And I'm sure Robin Hobb has looked into leaders of different countries like that. Yeah. To get different empires (laughs) (laughs) to get more inspiration. But yeah, yeah, I definitely thought it was a good take of it. It's this hard thing where he is so childlike but like jonah says it's not fair to like just describe that to him yeah because we, of the we saw it we saw it in the first chapter yeah that we just the last one that we read of him where he quickly catches on to what cyril is trying to do with the contract yeah like immediately catches on because he is intelligent he was raised to be a satrap like probably he, had the best tutors but he's also a child who wants to live in drugs, you know? Yeah, and he does have the tendencies of wanting, like, me, me, me. It's very toddler-like of not really considering other people around him. Um, so I really do like both of those descriptions of him. And I like that it isn't forgiving him for the decisions he makes later and, like, letting him get out of it by, like, oh, well, he's kind of just got a toddler mentality he doesn't he just acts like one right which is very different (laughs) and yeah i just like that the description of him and it's a good way to look at him to know that there is kind of a brain right behind the annoyingness and childlikeness (laughs) that he is and it's not exactly one used for good right exactly i bet he would have been really good friends with regal so oh yeah (laughs) But adding on to that, Jonas does talk about Jamalia, saying that it does feel very unexplored, but Jonas kind of likes that about it, because then you can fill in the gaps with your own imagination, and speaking of those Roman emperors, probably brings to mind Rome a bit for Jonas, mixed with Athens and the vibes of the legendary Atlantis. It's probably one of the most beautiful cities, if not the city in the world of the realm of the Elderlings, 
and I will gladly believe that Buckkeep is nothing more than a backwater small pile of bricks compared to the wonders of Jamalia. And that's probably true. I mean, it's definitely described as beautiful, but when you look up close, according to Wintrow, right. it is very dirty and not very upkept well, and that's just kind of ascribed to the leaders, the yeah, rulers of it. It is also kind of the reality of a big city, and yeah, true. especially one that's not paying people to clean it so like from a distance it shines like a jewel yes so i do like that descriptor and a reminder that it is technically way more advanced than yeah keep and they have glass in their windows so don't forget <laughs> to imagine that part true true <laughs> i will never let that go because it is so funny to me that like buck keep is in this wintry they, horrible but they don't have glass windows not even the I, castle i feel like they do have glass windows and i i feel like it's said but also, I feel like the their barbarians, they don't have glass in their windows, is said by people from Bingtown. So I don't think that they've, like, went inland very much. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I would believe that they don't. I maybe don't know. Not. Maybe they do. Maybe. maybe they don't. We'll never know. <laughs> it's not <laughs> something I ever remember when I'm reading Buck Keeps. <laughs> right. Either way. Not super big deal, but uh, <laughs> but they're finally, barbarians. Yeah, to, <laughs> they are barbarians. Um, and to finish up Jonas's email to us, he did also mention um, talk about Kennet and just talk, as a reminder that he is partially forged. Yes, he is partially forged with, by Paragon, and the way he acts is very similar to a male dragon in that he is he primps and preems and he is vicious and very proud and full of himself and calculating yes Yes. and he has a lot of charisma and he knows how to flatter a female dragon like vivacia and maybe that's what vivacia sees in him maybe that's like deep down is just like ooh, yeah she's attracted (laughs) to the drake you know dangerous and full of himself (laughs) sounds perfect (laughs) i don't know that it's a good Reminder, though, again, just to read his points of view with the view that he is partially forged. Yeah. But also it's a, a good connector because those are very similar qualities to dragons as we know them, at least. Yes. Yeah. So at least ice fire, ice fire is very similar to that. So either way, a good reminder and a good call out that he does share similar traits. And so maybe yeah. that's why Vivacia is attracted. So thank you, Jonas, for that email and giving us lots to think about. And thank you to everyone else who wrote in. We always enjoy hearing from you guys and getting your points of view on stuff that we may have missed or ways that you think we're wrong. 